0: Welcome to another episode of the Reformation Roundtable podcast. My name is Joe Stout, and this podcast is a ministry of Christ Covenant Church in Centralia, Washington. During each episode, you will hear the sermons, liturgy, discussions, and interviews from the various weekly gatherings here at Christ Covenant Church. If you would like to find out more, please visit us online at ChristCovenantCentralia.com Please enjoy the following audio. Well, let us rise and worship the triune God. Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And also to you. From Psalm 17. Keep me as the apple of the eye, hide me under the shadow of thy wings. From a wicked than arrest me, from my deadly enemies who compass me about. They are enclosed in their own fat, with their mouth they speak proudly. They have now compassed us in our steps, they have set their eyes bowing down to the earth. Like as a lion that is greedy of his prey, and as it were a young lion lurking in secret places. Arise, O Lord, disappoint him, cast him down, deliver my soul from the wicked. From men which are thy hand, O Lord, from men of the world which have their portion in this life. And whose belly thou fillest with thy hidden treasure, they are full of children, and leave the rest of their substance to their days. As for me, I will behold thy face in righteousness. I shall be satisfied when I awake without thy So lift up your hearts. We lift them up to the Lord. Let's pray together. Show thy marvelous loving kindness, O God. Hide us under the shadow of thy wings. Keep us as the apple of an eye, that our goings may be perfected in thy paths, and we may appear with thee in righteousness, and be satisfied when thy glory shall appear. Wherefore we say, Glory be to the Father, whose presence we shall behold in righteousness. Glory be to the Son, who awoke up after his likeness. Glory be to the Holy Ghost, who is himself that satisfaction, communicated in this world partly, that in heaven he may be bestowed fully and everlastingly, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. And amen. Amen. Sermon text this morning comes from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 7, verses 14 to 37. These are the words of God. And when he had called all the people unto him, he said unto them, Hearken unto me, every one of you, and understand. There is nothing from without a man that entering into him can defile him. But the things which come out of him, those are they that defile the man. If any man have ears to hear, let him hear. And when he was entered into the house from the people, his disciples asked him concerning the parable. And he saith unto them, Are ye so without understanding also? Do ye not perceive that whatsoever thing from without entereth into the man, it cannot defile him? Because it entereth not into his heart, but into the belly, and goeth out into the draught, purging all meats. And he said, That which cometh out of the man, that defileth the man. For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, "'covetousness, wickedness, deceit, "'lasciviousness, an evil eye, "'blasphemy, pride, foolishness. "'All these evil things come from within "'and defile the man. "'And from thence he arose "'and went into the borders of Tyre and Sidon, "'and entered into an house "'and would have no man know it, "'but he could not be hid. "'For a certain woman whose young daughter "'had an unclean spirit heard of him "'and came and fell at his feet.' The woman was a Greek, a Syro-Phoenician by nation, and she besought him that he would cast forth the devil out of her daughter. But Jesus said unto her, Let the children first be filled, for it is not meat to take the children's bread and to cast it unto the dogs. And she answered and said unto him, Yes, Lord, yet the dogs under the table eat of the children's crumbs. And he said unto her, For this saying go thy way, the devil is gone out of thy daughter. And when she was come to her house, she found the devil gone out and her daughter laid upon the bed. And again, departing from the coasts of Tyre and Sidon, he came unto the sea of Galilee through the midst of the coasts of Decapolis. And they bring unto him one that was deaf and had an impediment in his speech. And they beseech him to put his hand upon him. And he took him aside from the multitude and put his fingers into his ears and he spit and touched his tongue. And looking up to heaven, he sighed, and saith unto him, Ephatha, that is, be opened. And straightway his ears were opened, and the string of his tongue was loosed, and he spake plain. And he charged them that they should tell no man. But the more he charged them, so much the more a great deal they published it, and were beyond measure astonished, saying, He hath done all things well. He maketh both the deaf to hear and the dumb to to speak. Let us pray. Father, we ask now that you would open the ears of our heart that we might understand your word. And having understood your word, the mystery of your kingdom, we might open our mouths and pour forth praise that is worthy of you. We ask for your Holy Spirit now in Jesus' name. And amen. Amen. The Lord Jesus has done all things well. Jesus has done all things well. As we pick up in chapter 7 of Mark's gospel, we recall that uh, Jesus has just laid the smackdown on the scribes and the Pharisees. The Pharisees were critiquing Jesus because uh, his disciples were not washing their hands. Jesus claps back saying that the Pharisees elevate their man-made traditions, like hand-washing, above the authority of God. And they have so trampled upon God's command to honor father and mother that they deserve to die. Jesus says their disregard for God's law, while paying lip service to it, makes them worthy of death. Jesus says in Mark 7.13, just before our text begins, You make the word of God of none effect through your tradition, which ye have delivered, and many such like things do ye. Many such like things do ye. We have seen a continual problem, not only amongst the Pharisees, but also amongst the disciples and the crowds. They are all unable to make a very simple distinction. They are unable to distinguish between the sign and the thing that is signified by that sign. They cannot see the difference between an earthly sign and its spiritual reality, between shadow and substance. So far in Mark's gospel, no one has been able to see through the external miracles that Jesus performs into the truth of who Jesus is. No one recognizes this is God in the flesh. And here now, uh, in our passage, we see that they are unable to discern the true meaning of the ceremonial law. They think that food and hand washing and physical cleanliness is all that God commands. When in reality, they are merely signs. Signs to teach us about the need to become spiritually clean, spiritually clean pure to be baptized so that we can partake of spiritual food namely the Lord Jesus the bread of life as the apostle paul says and we heard Les read earlier in titus 1:17 it says unto the pure all things are pure but unto them that are defiled and unbelieving is nothing pure but even their mind and conscience is defiled where did paul get this teaching Well, he got it from Jesus, and he got it from being given spiritual insight into the true meaning of the Old Testament. So this theme of true purity, the nature of true defilement, is what is really uh, uniting our text. That's the dominant theme here. And as we look at our text, it divides uh, nicely, neatly, into three sections. And preachers like threes, okay? It's just, you know, Trinity something, I don't know. Three sections. So let me give you the division of our text as we proceed. In verses 14 to 23, Jesus gives his teaching, the nature of true defilement. And then he follows that, or Mark rather follows it, with two real-life illustrations of this point. So Jesus is going to give teaching, then we're going to give two examples. So in the second section, verses 24 to 33, Jesus casts out an unclean spirit from an unclean Gentile who turns out to be spiritually clean. And then in verses 31 to 37, Jesus shows us that what comes out of him, his word, his spirit, even his spit can make a man holy. He makes the deaf to hear and the dumb to speak. So that is the uh, division of our text. Let us now uh, consider his teaching on true defilement, starting in verse 14. So when Jesus had called all the people unto him, he said unto them, Hearken unto me, every one of you, and understand. There's nothing from without a man, nothing outside of him, that can enter into him and defile him. But the things which come out of him, those are they that defile the man. If any man have ears to hear, let him hear. Now, if you're a pious Jew or just someone who reads the Old Testament, on the surface, this might sound like a massive contradiction of the laws of Moses. You heard also, let's read Leviticus 19. It's saying if you eat this thing on the third day, uh, that's going to be abominable. It's going to defile you. So, you know, leftovers in your kitchen, third day, it needs to go in the trash. Okay? Uh, just kidding. Uh, but, there, there, there's some, but that is, at least for the priests, that was part of their uh, ceremonial law. So if you read uh, Leviticus 11 or Deuteronomy 14, both of those give lists of what Israel can and cannot eat. If it divides the hoof and chews the cud, it is clean. You can eat it. But if it only divides the hoof or only chews the cud or does neither, then it is unclean to you. It will defile you. I'll give you a sample of this in Leviticus 11, 43 to 45. "'Ye shall not make yourselves abominable with any creeping thing that creepeth, neither shall ye make yourselves unclean with them, that ye should be defiled thereby. For I am the Lord your God. You shall therefore sanctify yourselves, and ye shall be holy, for I am holy. Neither shall ye defile yourselves with any manner of creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth.'" For I am the Lord that bringeth you up out of the land of Egypt to be your God. You shall therefore be holy, for I am holy. So that seems pretty straight up. There are things that you eat that make you unclean. And these are the kinds of laws that the disciples and the Pharisees are accustomed to. And uh, this is the word of God. This is the word of the Lord. It comes with divine authority. So how then is what Jesus saying not a contradiction? This is what uh, the disciples want to know. Verse 17, And when Jesus was entered into the house from the people, his disciples asked him concerning the parable. And he saith unto them, Are ye so without understanding also? Do ye not perceive? That whatsoever thing from without entereth into the man, it cannot defile him, because it entereth not into his heart, but into the belly, and goeth out into the draught, purging all meats. So Jesus, uh, surprisingly, just makes an appeal here to what is common sense. Okay, Where does food go? It goes into your body and out into the sewer, or the draught. How then can something physical, like food, make the spiritual part of man defiled? If food does not enter your heart or your soul, that immaterial part of you, how then can it make you unclean? It cannot. This is the structure of Jesus' argument. And what Jesus is explaining here is exactly what the Levitical food laws always taught. This isn't a new teaching. This is what was always taught. So uh, Genesis 1, for example, is very clear. That everything that God created is good. And that includes pigs and shellfish, bacon and shrimp, things that were temporarily forbidden by Moses, but nothing is unclean or evil in itself. So, what Leviticus 11 and Deuteronomy 14 are teaching is that for Israel as a holy nation, these animals are going to be a sign, a sign of spiritual cleanliness or spiritual dirtiness. So uh, to summarize this, uh, something can be called in the Bible unclean in two ways. It can be called unclean in itself, which nothing that God created is unclean in itself. It's all good. Or secondly, it can be called unclean in what it signifies or points to. So a pig might be externally dirty, but spiritually it cannot defile you. And therefore, in itself, a pig is clean. It's just a pig. But a pig, insofar as it signifies a filthy lifestyle rolling in the dirt of sin, it is unclean. And the Jews were commanded to observe this distinction to teach them that if you want to be close to God, you need to be spiritually clean. The Jews were meant to see what is very obvious in Jesus' parable, that food doesn't go into your heart. You can think about the same thing with circumcision. Circumcision always meant being born again, circumcising your heart. And yet God says you need to give that sign to your children or you're going to be cut off. Okay, So it's a physical sign, and you can boast in the physical sign, but if you lack the thing that it signifies, namely a circumcised heart, a heart that is open to God, well then you're not understanding what is the sign pointing to. Uh, So... uh, um, what was this lesson that the food laws were meant to teach? This, the lesson that God is trying to teach them is that clean and unclean animals represent different kinds of people or different kinds of nations. If you read the Bible straight through, you'll notice God talks a lot about animals. He likens different nations to animals. Um, are you a vulture or are you a dove? Are you a lamb? without blemish or are you a ravaging wolf, right? Animals are the sign and people are what they signify. This is especially obvious when you consider that the entire sacrificial system revolved around this principle. Animals represent the worshiper. They can represent the priest. They can represent the whole nation. They could represent a kid or a child. They could represent your good works, And the only animals that you were allowed to sacrifice were clean animals that had no spot or blemish. So it had to be a bull, a sheep, a goat, a dove, or a pigeon. Those were the only five sacrificial animals allowed. This is how a King David, who knew this, could say things in Psalm 51 like, For thou desirest not sacrifice, else would I give it. Thou delightest not in burnt offerings. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, O God, thou wilt not despise. So, what makes a man's heart pure? It's that it is humble and contrite before the Lord. What makes a man's offering acceptable to God? It's that it is offered to him in a heart of true faith and love. This is how God can say in Hosea 6, 6, for I desired mercy and not sacrifice, right? God commanded sacrifices morning and evening and all throughout the year. And yet he says, I, I desire mercy and not sacrifice and the knowledge of God more than burnt offerings. Moses and David, Hosea and all the prophets knew the meaning of the food laws, that they were just temporary teaching tools for Israel, And yet the Pharisees and the disciples and the crowds don't get it. They do not yet have ears to hear or eyes to see what is obvious, that whatever a man eats only goes into his body. It cannot defile his heart. Well, if that is true, where then does uncleanness come from? Verse 20. And Jesus said, That which comes out of the man, that defiles the man. For from within... Out of the heart of men proceed evil thoughts. Then he's going to list a bunch of evil thoughts. Adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lasciviousness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and defile the man. So what is the source of evil? What is the source of uncleanness in the world? Well, it is not found in any material substance. There is no uh, black goo out there called evil that has tainted everything. And in fact, if you do the, the metaphysics of evil, you will know that evil has no substance. It is strictly a privation. It is only an adjective that can corrupt the good things that God has given being to. As Paul says in 1 Timothy 4.4, 4, every creature of God is good and nothing is to be refused if it, be, if it be received with thanksgiving. So man's body, man's mouth, his stomach, insofar as it has material existence, is a very good creation of God. And what makes a man spiritually clean or unclean is that immaterial, non-physical part of him that is called in the Bible the heart or the soul or the mind. These are all synonyms for that rational part of our nature that reasons and wills, judges and loves. Jesus says it is out of that place, the invisible heart of man, that proceed evil thoughts. Jesus then goes on to list 12 different sins that proceed from those thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, and so forth. And so for man, what takes place in our heart, our mind, our soul, that immaterial part of us, moves us to do things with our body that are indeed corrupt. So the disciples can eat bread without washing their hands. And so long as they eat with thanksgiving in their heart, no defilement comes to them. And at the same time, you could bathe your whole body. You could clean all your pots and utensils. You could eat only clean animals, organic, no preservatives, all natural. But if you eat that clean food without thanksgiving, without any real love for God in your heart, well, that clean, organic, you know, no preservative food uh, actually defiles you. Not because of the food, but because of your heart as you eat that food. Our culture loves to locate sin everywhere else except where it actually is. We always have someone else to blame. There's always some extenuating circumstance for why we did what we did. It's always someone else's fault. This is what Adam and Eve, of course, did in the garden, and it is what our sinful natures love to do. So Jesus, who comes to conquer sin, exposes sin. He exposes our wickedness, and he removes every excuse that we could possibly have by telling us exactly where the problem is. You cannot blame the food for why you are a glutton. You cannot blame the alcohol for why you committed blasphemy. You cannot blame the woman's beauty for why you committed adultery or fornication. You cannot blame anything external to you for the sinful actions of your heart. Those things might be the occasion for sin, but they are not the cause or source of sin. Jesus says, all, all, all these evil things come from within and defile the man. So this is the nature of true defilement. It is not what goes into the body, but what comes out of your heart that makes you either clean or unclean. To drive this truth home, Mark then gives us two scenes to illustrate this point. And the first scene is Jesus casting out an unclean spirit from an unclean woman's daughter. Verse 24. And from thence Jesus arose and went into the borders of Tyre and Sidon. And he entered into an house and would have no man know it but he could not be hid. Um, in the days of David and Solomon, Israel actually had an alliance with the king of Tyre. And Tyre supplied both raw materials, wood and, and sorts, and workers for the construction of God's temple. Uh, so you, if you read in 1 Kings 7, a Hiram of Tyre did all the brass work on the temple. And if you think about this, once upon a time, the holiest place on earth was constructed Using Gentile stuff, Gentile uh, workers, un- unclean people, and this, of, this is, of course, um, a type of uh, the church that is to come, where Jew and Gentile are united. So there's already this embedded in the construction of the tabernacle. What did they make? Uh, what did they use for the gold in the tabernacle? Well, they used all that Egyptian gold that they gave them when they left. And it's, it says this explicitly. So God already has set up. In the Old Testament, in the construction of the tabernacle, in the construction of the temple, that Gentiles are going to be a part of God's dwelling place. So once upon a time, uh, those things came from Tyre. However, as time went on and Israel apostatized, so also did Tyre and Sidon. The most notorious villain that came from this region was a Sidonian princess. And this woman is named Jezebel. Jezebel was a Sidonian princess, and she married King Ahab of Israel. Jezebel, of course, promoted idolatry. She had hundreds of false prophets. She persecuted Elijah. And because of her, Tyre and Sidon came to symbolize pride and harlotry. If ever there was an unclean land with unclean women, this was it. This was where Jesus chose to go. And who comes knocking on his door? Verse 25. So he's trying to hide himself. And it says, For a certain woman, whose young daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him and came and fell at his feet. The woman was a Greek, a Syrophoenician by nation, and she besought him that he would cast forth the devil out of her daughter. So notice Mark calls our attention to this woman's language and birthplace. She's a Greek-speaking Gentile, and she's born in the Syrian part of Phoenicia. Uh, in Matthew's version of this same scene, he simply calls her a Canaanite woman. Uh, children, are Canaanites good or bad? They're bad. Right? The Canaanites are the people you can't marry. Right? You've got to marry amongst your own people, those who fear the Lord. A Canaanite could always convert, but otherwise, the Canaanites are under the ban. They're actually supposed to be uh, uh, murdered, killed by God, taken out from the land. That's what the whole book of Joshua is about. The book of Joshua is Joshua slaying 31 Canaanite kings. So here we have a Canaanite woman. And based on these facts, we should be suspicious of her. Remember Jezebel. However, uh, this woman insists That Jesus come and cast forth the devil out of her daughter. She has heard and believes that Jesus can clean the unclean. Knowing this, Jesus gives her a test. Verses 27 to 30. But Jesus said unto her, Let the children first be filled, for it is not meat or good uh, to take the children's bread and to cast it unto the dogs. And she answered and said unto him, Yes, Lord. Yet the dogs under the table eat of the children's crumbs. And he said unto her, For this saying, Go thy way, the devil is gone out of thy daughter. And when she was come to her house, she found the devil gone out, and her daughter laid upon the bed. So what is the test that Jesus gives this Canaanite woman? Well, he sets up a scenario where hungry children need to eat. And he says it would be morally wrong to feed the dogs with the children's food. The children here, of course, are the children of Israel, the Jews, and the dogs refer to the unclean Gentiles, this woman and her daughter. Jesus is calling this woman a dog. However, uh, rather than being insulted, like uh, many women would be, uh, this woman recognizes that Jesus is actually giving her an invitation Jesus is inviting her to enter the story and wrestle with him. He wants to make known to the world, to her, and especially to the Jews, how great her faith is. This is the test. So how does the woman respond? Well, she calls Jesus what? Lord. Yes, Lord. Yet the dogs under the table eat of the children's crumbs. Remember the context of this scene. Jesus has just fed the 5,000, and then right after this, he's going to feed the 4,000. And then here's a woman who just wants the scraps. Remember the feeding of the 5,000. There were 12 baskets of bread left over. Jesus fed in abundance the children of Israel. And this woman recognizes the real priority that Israel has in being God's covenant people. The children of Israel, the children of God, should be fed first because God adopted them and promised to feed them. However, just because the children must be fed first does not mean the Gentiles cannot at the same time eat the scraps. So the woman enters Jesus' story. She accepts her place as a little dog under the table. And because of her humility and faith, Jesus says, For this saying... Go thy way. The devil is gone out of thy daughter. What made the daughter clean? The daughter wasn't there. The daughter didn't do anything. She was just possessed by a devil. Her mother intercedes for her. It was her faithful mother getting on the floor, crawling in the dirt under the table, looking for scraps like a dog from Jesus. And because of that kind of faith, the devil is cast out. So do you see the contrast that Jesus is setting up? Do you see the irony that is embedded here? There are scribes and Pharisees and Jews who are externally clean, washed and sitting at the table to eat their bread. But because they eat with unbelief, they are actually the unclean ones. They are defiled. And then you have this Gentile woman, this Canaanite woman, who is externally unclean and knows it. She's a dog. But she is willing to do whatever it takes to get to Jesus. And that kind of faith makes her daughter clean. Do we wrestle with God like this woman does? Do you wrestle with God like this woman does? Are you persistent in your prayers? Or do you stop asking when heaven seems silent? Think about what this woman could have done. She could have just said, I'm no dog. Imago Dei. I, I'm equal to you. She could have played the equality card and would have gone away without her daughter being cleansed. But she has great faith and great humility. And this woman, this Syrophoenician woman, does what the patriarch Jacob did right before God changed his name to Israel. She wrestles with God and prevails. She argues with Jesus and wins. This is a really strange scene when you're reading through the Gospels because he's arguing with the best theologians of the time, the scribes and Pharisees, and he's, you know, schooling them. But then this woman comes along, and Jesus gives her this story so that he can show forth how great her faith is, and he loses uh, the argument to her and gives her what she desires. She wrestles with God and prevails. She argues with Jesus and she wins. This is what God wants from you. This is what God wants from his people. He wants us to know our place, to own up to the sin that proceeds from inside of us, no excuses. And then he wants us to do whatever it takes to get the bread of heaven, to partake of him who is eternal life. When God plays hard to get, like he does with this woman, it is not because he is angry or upset or indifferent to you. It is because he loves you and wants your faith to grow. He wants your desires to mature. He wants your appetite to grow from settling for frozen TV dinners when a five-star feast awaits you. God wants us to desire the infinite glories of his kingdom, of life with him, more than these fleeting pleasures that we settle for. It says in Jeremiah twenty nine thirteen, Ye shall seek me and find me when you shall search for me with all your heart. If you have not found the Lord, perhaps you are searching for him with half a heart, three-quarter heart. But God says you will find him when you search him with all your heart, when you surrender that thing to him. Second Chronicles 16:19 likewise says the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong in the behalf of them whose heart is perfect toward him God is looking throughout the entire globe for people who have a heart that is perfect toward him and if that is you then he will show himself strong on your behalf This is why God tests us. It is why Jesus tests this woman, to make known to her and to us and to the whole world the cleansing and purifying power of faith. Finally, in verses 31 to 37, we are given a second scene. And this second scene illustrates also the nature of true defilement. I'll just briefly summarize this scene for us. Uh, In verse 31, Jesus enters the coasts of Decapolis. And if you remember, this was where he earlier cast out uh, the legion of demons into a herd of swine. So again, this is predominantly unclean Gentile territory that he is in. In verse 32, it says they bring to Jesus one that was deaf and had an impediment in his speech. And then Jesus proceeds to heal him. But the way that Jesus heals this man is a rather strange. Verse 33 to 34, Jesus took him aside from the multitude, and he put his fingers into his ears, and he spit and touched his tongue, and looking up to heaven he sighed and saith unto him ephatha, that is be opened. Why does Jesus put his fingers in this man's ears and why does he spit and touch the man's tongue? Let me uh, start with the fingers and the ears. Um, In Exodus 21, we are given the ritual for a servant to be adopted into his master's household. Uh, It says in Exodus 21, 5 to 6, If the servant shall plainly say, I love my master, my wife, and my children, I will not go out free, then his master shall bring him unto the judges. He shall also bring him to the door or unto the doorpost." And his master shall bore his ear through with an awl, and he shall serve him forever. So there's this ritual of putting a hole in the ear to signify that the servant's ear is ever open to his master's word. It's a ritual circumcision of the ear. The servant could go free, but he freely chooses to become a permanent member of the household of the master whom he loves. And because he is now a full member of the household, an adopted son, he is then able to inherit what his master wants to bestow. This ritual was what God had done for Israel. He chose to adopt them as his firstborn son. Remember, he tells the Pharaoh, let my people go, let my firstborn son go. And when he doesn't, he says, all right, I'm going to kill your firstborn son. So God had adopted Israel. They are his firstborn son. He had opened their ears to hear his voice. And if they love and serve him faithfully, well, they will inherit everything. They will inherit the promised land. So this is what Jesus is reenacting here when he opens this man's ears. His fingers are the awl, the needle, that pierces and opens the ear. And by doing this, Jesus is adopting him into the kingdom. What about the spit? And the tongue. Well, the first thing we should recognize is that the things that are gross and unclean in us, like our tongues, like our spit, are pure in Jesus. Jesus is spit. Jesus' saliva is actually cleansing. And what Jesus is doing here in this scene is recreating man. How was Adam formed? From the dust of the earth and the breath of God. And how is this deaf and mute man reformed? By the hands of God in his ears and the wet breath of God on his tongue. This is exactly, and it's uh, in Greek, it's made more clear. It's this one uh, phrase for this man's tongue that gets repeated from Isaiah. Uh, So Isaiah 35, 4 to 6 and 8 says the following. Say to them that are of a fearful heart, be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, even God with a recompense. He will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap as in heart, and the tongue of the dumb sing. For in the wilderness shall waters break out, and streams in the desert. And an highway shall be there, and a way, and it shall be called the way of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it. Jesus is the God who comes to show us the way of holiness. And if we would be holy as he as holy, then we, we must observe this teaching in this gospel. So three things to close. First, if we want to be holy, we must own up to where evil truly comes from. It comes from within. You must stop blaming other people, your parents, our government, someone who hurt you, When you were young, you must stop blaming them for why you are the way you are. You must stop blaming your circumstances. You must stop making excuses for your sins. Second, we must humble ourselves like this Syrophoenician woman. We must be willing to get on the ground and wrestle with God for his blessing. Are you willing to do that? And third, we must be willing to have Jesus make us uncomfortable so that he can remake us. He wants to poke open your ears, he wants to spit, he wants to touch your tongue, and all these things he must do if you would become a servant of him, the master, and a son of the Most High King. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost, amen. Amen. Let me pray for us. Father, you know the pride in our hearts. You know how easily we are offended. You know how fragile and frail our bodies are. Lord, we ask that where sin has abounded in us and in our land, that grace would abound all the more. Come like a flood. Give us the knowledge of God. Fill the whole earth with the knowledge of Christ. And give us true cleanliness. Make us a pure people so that we might bring greater purity and holiness to this place that we dwell. We ask that you would do this for the sake of Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. The Bible has a lot to say about food. Our original sin was eating something that God told us not to eat, the fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Even back then, we see that there was nothing inherently sinful about the fruit, Or the knowledge. It was just that God saw that we were not mature enough to handle it. Well, at this table, God gives us the most potent and powerful meal ever made. This is what all of the food laws, all of the sacrifices in the Old Testament were pointing to. This altar, this table, where we remember the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. If Jesus has made you clean... If he has opened your ears to hear his voice, then Christ's body and Christ's blood are yours to eat. Of course, we do not eat these things carnally after the flesh, but truly we eat them spiritually, receiving Christ by faith. So come, welcome back into the garden of God. Come and welcome to Jesus Christ. A double charge, the first... Stay and eat with us. Please do come and feast uh, just behind this building in the fellowship hall. Uh, Please do, even if you did not bring anything, we'd love to eat with you. Uh, The charge is this. Paul says in Galatians 6, 8, that if you sow to the flesh, then from the flesh you will reap corruption. But if you sow to the spirit, then from the spirit you will reap life everlasting. So this week, nourish your heart, feed your soul on heavenly things, and you will be made pure for heaven. Receive now the benediction. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.